Welcome to Hit It, the Water Skier Magazine podcast, powered by USA Water Ski and Wake Sports, where we go on the water with some of the top athletes from three events, show skiing, barefooting, and everything in between. This episode is brought to you by Visit Central Florida, the water ski capital of the world. I'm your host, Tyler Boyd. Welcome back, everybody, to the Hit It Podcast. Thanks for joining us once again. And in our virtual studio here today, we have Lauren Morgan, who is on the cover of the latest Water Skier magazine here in summer 2022. In fact, it has been a terrific season for Lauren, and that's what we recap here in this episode. We talk a little bit about the expectations off of a great summer last year in 2021, what her expectations were at the beginning of the year. She had a huge win back in May at the U.S. Masters where she was the top seed in the final and then took the top of the podium. And that really has served as a momentum builder for Lauren throughout the remainder of the season. We also catch up with Lauren and what she's doing off the water finishing up her Ph.D. program and what is on her calendar for this upcoming fall with a couple of record and professional tournaments still yet to go. Lauren has had a tremendous season. It's so fun to catch up with her and recap everything up until this point. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode with Lauren Morgan. Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Hit It podcast. We have Miss Lauren Morgan with us today. Lauren, welcome to the virtual studio here at the Hit It podcast. Thanks, Tyler. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm super excited about this episode because you've had an amazing season, like a breakthrough season here in 2022. I'm actually holding up the latest summer edition uh, for those that are watching, and I know it's going to be on the audio, but I have the Water Skier Magazine 2022. You're on the front, uh, Women's Jump Champion uh, at the Masters, and we're going to cover that in this episode but I wanted to go all the way back to the start of 2022. What were the expectations going into the year? Yeah, so I actually came off, 2021 was one of my better seasons since probably over the last 10 years. I mean, coming into pro water skiing in like 18, 19, I had some success. Um, and then going through grad school and things, you know, I had, had some kind of ups and downs. And then 2021 was really exciting, like especially at the end, winning the Pan Am Championships and getting to do that and then also um, getting the bronze medal at the world. Um, so I, I was coming off sort of a high, but I was also coming off a lot of injuries. In November after the Pan Ams, I remember talking to some people and thinking, I don't even, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. My my back, my knee, and my hip were all not not feeling too great. Um, so I thought, you know, I'll, I'll go back, I'll do some PT over the winter. And we'll see in the spring, but I really, it was kind of up in the air. I knew that I was coming into kind of the end of my PhD. It was going to be really busy. My expectations were honestly really low. I just wanted to get healthy again. Um, and so I spent a lot of time off the water. I didn't get back on the water until the very end of March, maybe early April, when, you know, most people have already been skiing with Moomba and all that. So it felt a little strange, especially with the LCQ starting, you know, early May, but really I just, my main priority was to be healthy so that I could compete the season. Um, and it took every bit of five months. And I remember kind of like early May thinking, okay, my body's starting to finally feel good again. So here we go. 
let's do it. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And I definitely want to cover all of your work that you've done with your PhD because you're definitely uh, very busy off the water, uh, doing a lot of academic things that at a very high level, as well as skiing at a high level. I can't imagine what your schedule is going to be like. One of the things in this article in the Water Skier magazine that Scott Atkinson had put together, it's a fantastic article, but it talks about kind of how your schedule changed a little bit because you are now closer to Jack's from remote work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so last, you know, with everything that happened with COVID, um, all the, you know, all my work went online. And so about last, let's see, last spring, I came down for the Masters 2021. Um, and I... I thought about the world and I knew the world was going to be at Jack's. I knew that, you know, my goal was to get a medal. I thought, okay, let's think about how I can do this. And I was kind of strategic about it. Um, and so I decided to really stay at Jack's and move my whole, you know, virtual office down there. I literally bought my desk, got my books, my desktop, all of it. Um, and I thought, I'm just going to work here, work. I was going into my comprehensive exams, which is a pretty um, tough part of the PhD program. But I thought, okay, the only way I'm going to be able to pull this off is if I'm at a ski lake and can just run out and ski in between. Like, there's no way, you know, in St. Louis and Nashville and Seattle, where I did grad school, I had to drive two, three hours to get to the lake there and then back. So it would be like three or four hours in the car, you know, in one day just to get a ski ride. And I was, there's no way that I'm going to be able to, you know, compete at a high level to do this. So I, I went down to Florida, stayed at Jack's kind of most of 2021. And so that it did help tremendously. I mean, I don't think I would have been able to accomplish what I did last year or this year without doing that. So really happy awesome. I did it. No, that definitely makes sense. It's it's amazing how many components off the water have to come into place to get yourself ready for that high of competition that you're going to face at the Masters. So let's talk about the Masters. 2022, obviously a lot of buildup into that tournament every year. People wait for that tournament every year. Um, most prestigious site out there, so iconic. We, I mean, I've had the ability to announce for you since you've been a junior at the Masters. And so I've seen you ski there throughout your pretty much your career. And then you have a really good preliminary round. Tell us about the preliminary round. Yeah, the preliminary round, I, you know, I was, I think I was second to last. Hannah was last. I went out and I, I think my first or second jump, I went about 170. So I knew I would be at least second seat going into the final, but I really wanted to be top seat. In 2021, I accidentally became top seed and I, I don't think I was really ready for it, but I know that's why I also didn't win last year. And so this year I thought, okay, I want to be top seed. So I took all three jumps, um, you know, really try to do everything I could to get in that top seed position. And then I just kind of had to wait and see what Hannah would do. Um, and I ended up uh, getting that top seed position. So I was really excited. That's interesting. I didn't think about that on 2021 because uh, the, the two people who took the title this year, yourself and Joel Poland, were both top seeds coming into the finals in 2021 didn't come out with the victory, but this year you guys did. So that's kind of cool. That very cool. So at the masters and for those ha who haven't been there, um, you never know which way the jump is going to be facing, right? Because the wind could shift. And if the wind shifts favorably one way, we switch the ramp. And so fresh start it's Sunday, the wind shifted from the preliminary. So we flipped the jump around what's going through your head this time around is the top seed. 
Yeah, so you kind of pick your poison. The way we jumped in the prelims, I think I've jumped more that way and I've gone farther that way. And it's a more normal shot. You got, you know, a, a normal pull out at the six and everything, um, but it's a little bit more bumpy. And then the other way, you know, it's there's not as many rollers, um, but you have that tough setup. So in the prelim, I had checked the win and I kind of knew that, you know, prelims and finals would be different. I kind of already had that in the back of my mind. Um, so I thought after the prelims, I thought, okay, let's take this out of your head, start over. And I mean, that's how everyone kind of has to approach it. But going into the finals, uh, you know, I had uh, Brittany right before me, she went 160. I knew that, you know, how I've jumped, jumped that distance so many times in my life. I knew that, you know, like you can obviously do this very quite manageably, but don't make it harder than it is because that can happen really quick. And, so, and for some reason, the scores were a little bit lower this year. So I had that a little bit and just based off the prelims, but I had that in the back of my mind a little bit and I thought, okay, let's take a cut. Let's not take a cut to go on 60. Let's take a cut to go on 70 because the minute you do that, then you slip out and it's over. Then you're, okay, now you're jump two, jump three, the yeah. pressure builds. So I thought, I looked at Chris, uh, my coach, and I said, let's just do it on jump one. Ryan came down. He said, just jump, you know, don't do anything, you know, just go jump like you originally planned. My original plan was to, you know, I had expected that I would have to jump 170 to 175 to win. So that was my plan. So I just stuck with it. That's incredible. And and one of the things when I when I hear you talk about that is there's so much buildup to any competition. And then, you know, probably when I announced these events, I said, well, the good thing about jump is you get three jumps and you get three cracks at the ramp. It's not like slalom, you get one go. But what I think I fail to say to the, the spectators sometimes is how fast everything happens. Like you said, like you have to take advantage of jump one because you're literally out there sometimes under five minutes. I mean, and your mind is spinning a mile a minute. So to go out there and take advantage on jump one, um, and I had also been reading about, I mean, and you've been been in the sport for such a long time, um, you know, all of the greats out there, you know, the Freddy Kruegers, the Ryan Dodd, the Dina Brush Mapples, the, the one and done is, is if you can do that at Masters, it's like you've arrived. Yeah, I remember talking to Ryan about it. He when he first did it on his first jump, I forgot who it was that told him like, oh, you should go and try to win on your first jump. And he had like, it went off in his mind. He's like, yeah, that'd be really cool. This was just like a couple, probably like five years ago or something. And I, and I thought, man, I've seen Freddie do it. I've seen Ryan do it. It's just so cool. I, I want to, I mean, Jacinta, I've seen her do it. I've seen so many people do it. And I, was, I never thought that it would be me. And I, and I just like, it was a very special moment coming around the island, seeing John and Chris there throwing up the fist, like it was, it was incredible. And people are like, you know, oh, you didn't want to do another jump. And I'm like, there's no way I could have. I mean, I, the emotions, you just ask, what are you going to do after that? <laughs> right, right. Well, I would be completely remiss if I didn't mention your father, Mike Morgan. Um, it it uh, had been said in this article, he's gotten, he was very close of winning a master's title. So for you to go out there and win a master's title, I'm sure that was extremely special for your family. Yeah, it was. Um, he he tied um, for first in Solemn against Andy Mapple. So and and lost the runoff. But I mean, that's still pretty cool. And so when I came into the dock, it was just very emotional. Uh, you know, lots of tears. We knew that morning. I mean, he was there with me that morning. We hung out. We talked about it. He he looked at me. He's like, "You seem really confident." I'm like, "Yeah." I mean, it, it just felt like everything came together this year. And so uh, to have both my parents there was really special. 
Awesome. Well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about your PhD program because that has taken a great deal of time, just as any PhD program, you know, is. And I, I was I was thinking of your dad when I was uh, preparing for this podcast because I was when I was growing up, I watched a lot of ESPN water ski tapes, and one of the things that Wayne Grimdage always used to say, you know. Mike Morgan, he's out here and he's making the finals and he's also in medical school. You know how he was able to pull off all of that and then balance it uh, with where he was going in his professional career uh, is just amazing. And now I'm looking at what you're doing and you're drawing a similar path, able to pull off water skiing and a professional career at a very, very high level. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. I mean, it's... Uh, you know, my dad is the best role model I can have. Everyone asks me, you know, who do you look up up to on water skiing? It's always the people who can kind of balance the two. Uh, Regina has done it too. You know, those people who can really do both things at, at such a high level because water skiing is a, is a job in and of itself. It's, you know, it takes so much discipline. So really appreciate you saying that. And, um, you know, I've been at it for a long time. I, I finished undergrad in 2016. And then, so no, 20, was it? Yeah, 2016. Moved out, moved out to Seattle, did my, my master's degree, finished that in 2018, started the PhD in 2019, and here we are, 2022, I have about a year left. I just defended my my prospectus defense, so I'm ABD, all I have left is my dissertation, but that's, that's still a lot to do. Um, so it's just been the whole time is just kind of like making sure I don't think about the big picture too much, thinking about all the little steps, and there are steps, you know, you have your coursework, you have your exams, and then your, your prospectus and now the dissertation. So it's kind of been steps throughout the whole process. Um, and it's really helped me with my skiing, I believe. I think it's really helped me kind of create a balance. Um, there was a year that I, I wasn't um, doing anything. I was just skiing and training and honestly, it was terrible. Um, I, I was just overthinking everything. Um, my performances weren't there. You know, I, I just really didn't like it. And it was kind of the best lesson. And I, I learned, you know, this isn't for me. I have to, I think I have too much of my dad and me got to be doing something all the time. And um, I think that's just the way we work. And some people, you know, they don't, that doesn't work for them. But for us, it's like, you know, we, we got to be able to take our minds off the skiing too a little bit. Um, and now it's, I mean, and it goes through phases. Sometimes it's more school in the winter. I like, I really try to um, get ahead in my studies and things like that so that I can drop to tournaments and I can, you know, train when I need a little bit extra when I need to. So I've, I figured it out. It's taken, you know, about 10 years now of school to really figure out a good balance, but I've done it and I'm really excited that I've, I've kind of stuck through the whole thing because I mean, at the end of it, I'll have a PhD and I'll still have all these water ski accomplishments too. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell us a little bit about your studies. What have you been studying off the water and what do you hope to do? Yeah, so I'm doing my PhD in criminology and criminal justice, and I'm specializing in um, sort of the intersection of juvenile justice and child welfare, the foster care system. So um, we know that obviously the juvenile justice system is, is a terrible system, but we also know the foster care system is, is quite terrible too, and there's plenty of youth that are in both systems but that hasn't really been tapped into in the research. And so I'm kind of combining two fields like social work and criminology um, to understand more about sort of the pathways and what kind of happens to create the bad outcomes that these youth who are in both systems face. So I'm uh, talking to all different types of practitioners, judges, court appointed advocates, case managers, officers, 
um, you know, detention, people who work at detention centers, um, just everyone you can think of who kind of works at that intersection to figure out sort of the, the pathways for more of like a systems or organizational perspective. Um, and so, yeah, my, my work over the last couple of years has been devoted to that intersection, but I also did my master's. I specialized in victimology. So I'm really um, interested in kind of uh, victimization of youth, all those things, you know, kind of come together. But in the future, I'm hoping to sort of run a policy center. I'd love to run a policy center that focuses on, on that intersection I spoke of. Um, and I just just got hired to start working for the government. So um, starting September 1st, I'll be working for um, the DOJ um, doing research for them. So very cool. Awesome. Yeah, so, well, congratulations on that. That's yeah. awesome. And it's remote. So I'll get yeah, to yeah. Well, you yeah. Skin. yeah, that's yeah. the most important part of it. But no, yeah. that's a great opportunity and amazing work that you're doing. And so to shift gears, you, you come off of the master's and now you got the whole summer in front of you. I, I would assume it's a lot of momentum, a lot of excitement. Um, was it hard to get refocused after all of that motion at the Masters? Yeah, it was. Um, I did a couple of record tournaments and some fun things. And then I, I quickly got called. I don't know if we'll go into this, but I quickly got called like very last minute to do World Games. And it was almost a good thing that I, I didn't know I was in World Games because yeah, it took me a minute. I kind of went through like a little slump with my skiing. I needed to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure like I I wasn't kicking jumps and I was like, okay, let's kind of, so right before World Games, before I even knew I, that I was going to be competing, I kind of took some steps backwards and went back to the basics, if you will, and, and did some drills and things like that. And then that lasted for like a week and they're like, okay, you're skiing World Games. But it was really good that I could kind of take that time uh, to kind of go back because something happened from the Masters to, to kind of World Games-ish where, you know, I think there was so much buildup um, and then you're like, oh, okay, it's over. And you have this moment of like, okay, how do I train now? Um, and so the World Games kind of helped me in, in a lot of ways to kind of get back to that like training mentality. And so that was really exciting to get the call, but then I was very panicked about it. <laughs> so... So, so what does now after the masters, your refocus, what did that build up into world games? It was a fast build up, right? You had to cycle up quickly to be able to do um, what you knew you could do, but what, yeah. what was a typical training day looking like? Were you taking single weight cuts to start it out and then building into full cuts or how, how did that work? Yeah. So like I said, I went back to the drawing board. I did, I went back to a lot of three quarter cuts. That's something that I've kind of implemented over the last couple of years working with Ryan. And just, I know that if I'm going 165 to 170 on a three quarter cut, then my doubles will come and that 10 extra feet will come, whatever it is. Um, but I've got to be able to be, you know, using the boat well, kicking my three quarters, kind of, you know, having really good basics and doing everything right. So I did that. I just did just that. I went back, did that. Uh, those three quarter cuts, also um, a lot of riding my skis, um, and just kind of like you know, kind of like a mini pre preseason, like drawn out into like one week. Like if you're thinking about preseason <laughs> being two months, this was like a week of preseason. And I do this a lot. I've gotten really used to um, breaks because of my work. Like I can't always just ski. I have to like, you know go to conferences or things like that. So. Uh, I'm, I've gotten really used to kind of taking breaks and then having a really good routine of like getting back into jumping. I'll uh, typically ride my skis a couple couple sets, do some three quarters, and then build my way back into to doubles. I don't just, there's no way I would ever just go out and 
and do a straight up double. You know, there's just little things I could do to minimize like injury and um, doing something stupid. (laughs) So I've learned that over the years too. But yeah, that's what I did for World Games. And then I think it was like three days before the World Games that they called me and said, can you ski? And I, I thought, okay. And I had been doing all my drills and things. So then I just started doing doubles. I went and skied uh, with Regina and Taylor. They, they really helped me to kind of get into the tournament mindset as well. So that was fun. Awesome. Awesome. Well, with all of your travel and everything you've got going on off the water, tell us a little bit about, is there any regiment or training mechanisms that you use uh, you know, if you're in a hotel, for example, do you go to the gym? Do you go for a run? I mean, what what does that look like? Because I can imagine um, now that you're, you know, having some gaps sometimes within in your training, you have to cycle up really quickly on very short notice that you're just trying to be as fit as possible. What do you do when you're out on the road? Yeah, so I've learned um, to bring some of your own equipment. I always have my foam roller. I've got and then like some bands, things like that, just in case there isn't a gym. Um, and then my map. So I bring those everywhere. He will not see me at a tournament without my foam roller. <laughs> like it's like my, like I, especially with all my back injuries and things like I've, I've kind of come up with this routine with my, my physical therapist and th- I can't even, I, there's no way I could jump without it. I don't want to risk hurting my back again. So I bring those everywhere. I always try in season to kind of keep my body moving, but I don't want to be sore because I don't, I don't, I don't like skiing sore. Um, I'd rather feel fresh on the water. So in the summer, I do a lot of swimming. I do a lot of just like walking. So it gets boring. I listen to a lot of podcasts and walk, uh, but I do a lot of swimming um, and then a lot of band work and mobility exercises. So I don't want my hips to get tight after you know, a long plane ride or, you know, you don't want your upper back to get tight after sitting after a long time. So it's, especially too, with all my academic work, I'm always sitting. So I've learned a lot of little um, exercises and things to help like mitigate all the sitting I do. Um, so always, I, I'm a big fan of warming up. I warm up for like an hour, probably before I ski, usually if I can, um, just because I, I physically can't go from sitting at my desk to driving in the car to being out in the water. Like I can't, I just can't do that anymore. I'm getting older. Um, so just things you can learn. But like I said, I, I bring my foam roller and my bands everywhere and I have a little mobility routine I do. This is this will be an interesting question because I'm I I anticipate what the answer is going to be, but I don't know. I mean, as we all age through the sport, I we all probably wish we were like 17, 18 and we could go out and we could take whatever seven jumps and come in. Mm-hmm. As you as you age and you're still what 29, so yeah. relatively very young, uh, long career ahead of you. How many jumps do you actually take on going over the ramp? Um, because I think that's an important question for the listeners. I think a lot of times people maybe get burned out or they get injured or they put themselves in a very risky situation because they're trying to train at their max level all of the time and their body never really heals. So I, I look forward to hearing how you're, how you're managing that. Yeah. This is another thing I've learned over the years. You know, when I was younger, I'd probably take two sets a day of going over the ramp. Um, from like 18 to 22 years old, you know, that time frame. And then, you know, the injuries start coming and you're getting tired. And then I learned, okay, now I do, I probably, if I ski five days a week now, three of those days are probably open cutting, cutting and passing okay, or drills. Um, I do a lot of drills and then probably two of those days are going over. And when I go to go over, it's maybe one, three quarter and three jumps, three doubles. Or if I'm just doing doubles, it's probably just three doubles. Okay. Um, no more than that. One, because my feet 
can't really take that, especially in the summer. <laughs> can't really do five, six jumps with my bindings. Um, but then like from a practical standpoint, I, I really focus, like I treat those when I, when I do jump, I treat that like it's a tournament. It's not, you know, just going to jump. It's okay. I'm going over. I only have my two sets of going over this week. Let's make it count. I really try to get myself into that mindset and the warm up does help with that too. Does the mentality change too when you go to tournaments, like you were saying at the masters, let's just go out and do it on jump one. I mean, uh, I think through the years and interviewing people and talking to people, you know, some people like to build to jump to jump to jump and other people are just kind of like, Hey, look, I've got one cut and I'm just going to go for it. Talk to us a little bit about that. Are you approaching tournaments differently? Yeah. I've always been that sort of second group that you talked about the let's just, you got one cut and let's, you know, it only takes one. So that's always been my mentality, but for some reason I've always been like sort of a, I either do one of two things in tournaments. I either do it in my first jump and then go way too hard after, or I build into it. And it's like, I, I haven't quite figured, I'm, I've thought about this so much. I haven't quite figured out how, why that happens, but usually I prefer when I build, but I build starting from a really good spot. So say like, uh, so I just had a tournament, uh, a record tournament at, at Scott Greenwood's Lake in Arkansas. And the first, my first jump was a 180. And I thought, okay, this is the set that I can, you know, push the 190 because I'm, I start at 180 and then there's the potential there. Um, whereas if I had done like a, a 184 or something on my first job, it's probably going to be over for me mentally. I kind of prefer the build, but not the build where you're 20 feet ahead of where you want to be. You right. want to build, but be in a spot where you don't have to make too much of an adjustment. You just want to make that smaller adjustment. That's really the spot to be. And that's always kind of the, the, the mindset that I, I'd like to be in, but sometimes it just doesn't really go as planned. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, you know, from an announcer's perspective, and when we're watching you guys out there, we, you know, we're trying to look at kind of what the strategy is going into tournaments, but you never really want to end up into the the lost category of everything and coming down on the third and final jump and putting extra pressure on yourself. Talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, do you prefer a, in the final round, um, you talked a little bit about in the article, in the water scare article, you talked a little bit about being top seed and how to manage those expectations. Do you prefer to be top seed or do you like to be middle of the pack or first out? How do you like your seed? Well, I, I really haven't had that many opportunities of being top seed since I was, I was a junior, right? So last year at the Masters was my first time since I was a junior. And I didn't like it. I, I really didn't. I'd rather, much rather at that point, you know, I don't like to be first out at the Masters because that's really tough. Yeah. Um, that's a tough spot to be in. You don't want to be first at the Masters. But um, I, I would prefer to be, you know, third out uh, right before the top seed and put pressure. Uh, but now, this year at, at Masters and World Games, I thought, okay, I want to be in the top spot. I want to know what I have to do. And it, cause it makes it a lot easier, especially at a site like the masters or world games, which this, the conditions aren't the best. If you don't have to risk taking all three, that's such a huge advantage. Like, you know, the world games was a, a very tough site. Um, so I was, I did, a, I didn't do it on my first jump. I did it on my second jump, but I was very happy. I didn't have to do a third jump just Absolutely. because by the third jump, the lake was pretty much, uh, you know, a soup bowl. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so you take the win on the second jump at the world games and I'm trying to think it's feels like that tournament was yesterday. It's probably already been a month. And so uh, what else, what else remains on your calendar? And then, well, you get, you came off of, did you ski nationals and the Americas cup? Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I did. I, I did the nationals. Unfortunately, there wasn't, you know, we were missing Regina out with injury and then Brittany Greenwood um, and a couple others. So, you know, I, I don't want to say that it was expected of me to win, but a little bit, I would say that is true. Um, so it was more like, you know, the day I took that as sort of a practice round, I won, won my 10th national title. And then the America's Cup at night was really fun. I really wanted to, I just set a goal of um, trying to get a night PB at night. Unfortunately, I didn't, but I had a great time and I ended up winning America's Cup for the second time. So that was fun. It was really fun. I love jumping at night. So. Very cool. And you mentioned Scott Greenwood's like uh, earlier in the podcast, and I wanted to bring that back up because Brittany Greenwood, you you guys have been competing since you're juniors forever. And so to compete all summer against Brittany, what does that mean to you guys? Yeah, it means a lot, especially so at Masters, she was second seed. So it was just her and I on the on the dock getting ready to go out. And I think it was my dad. And he was like, man, this is just like junior masters, you know, um, and, and we can go way further back than that. Like girls, too. I was the first one to break the, the girls record. Then she broke it right after. And uh, I mean, we just we go way back. It's so cool. They have an amazing site up in, in Arkansas. If, you haven't been there it's a great place to ski um, that was actually my first time up there in like 10 years so I, you know I, I was like oh I gotta go up there and, and try jumping there and it was fun I got a couple jumps in the 180s um, she was right up at like 178 or something so wow. we're, we've been really like neck and neck and then last summer we both um, jumped 180 for the first time at the same tournament together so that was pretty cool very very cool very very cool well, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions here, um, and I didn't bring this up on the podcast, but it is really, really cool. When you won Masters this year, uh, it had been three decades since U.S. females had swept the trick slalom and jump, and it goes all the way back to 1992, and, and that's just an amazing thing that it all came together here on the centennial of water skiing, 100 years of water skiing. But I wanted to ask you, what does the centennial water skiing mean to you? Yeah, I'll, I'll comment too on the, the Masters thing. I mean, that was so cool. We, we were we were so excited that night after just celebrating uh, because someone had, had brought that up, that it had been a really long time since three American women had won. And it was really cool. We kind of felt, you know, like can show, we can show the world that the, the U.S. women are, are here, you know. Um, we really like that. Um, but anyway, back to the centennial water skiing, you know, practically – like when I heard that it was the centennial water skiing, I was like, okay, great. I, now I have an answer, but people ask me how long water skiing has been around. I, I just like had no idea, you know? So on a practical standpoint, good to know. Um, but personally, it's really cool because um, I'm a third generation, you know, Morgan water skier. So my grandfather skied in the um, 60s, 70s, my dad, you know, 80s, 90s. And then here I am like, you know, two, two, 2000s, 2010s. And so if you think about that, Morgans have been in the sport 60 out of the 100 years. So that is just really cool. And I know that that means a lot to my grandfather and my grandma who do a lot for the sport and are still really active in it. Um, and so, yeah, I, and then I, I actually have a grandfather on my mom's side who, who still skis. So there's three generations on that side, too. So 60 years of, of skiing out of the 100 is pretty cool when you think about it. Oh, very cool. I mean, when yeah. you take a look at the history of 60 years, you're talking about that generation getting out there with wood skis, building their own skis, finding, you know, even building their own boats and trying to figure everything out. And then leading up <clears throat> to your dad competing in the 80s and the 90s. I mean, you're on a fiberglass ski. Uh, some of those 
uh, drivers obviously were, were better than others back then at uh, throttle driving. And then you're into a totally new generation. So the sport looks uh, in some in some regards the, the the foundation is there for from what it was 60 years ago, but dramatically different as far as the technology. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking my dad and I talk about the jump skis all the time because he's jumped. He started jumping again, you know, for seniors and things. And now he's got the longer skis and is he like, man, jumping again. Not this year, but he jumped at the last senior worlds. And so wow. and that had been his first time in like 10, 15 years. He's like, man, I wish we had these skis back in the day, you know? And uh, so it's, yeah, we joke about it, but it, a lot of this has changed, but a lot, a lot of still the same. What is, what is your favorite water skiing memory? Yeah, I was, you know, I was thinking about this. There's so many and it's, and I'm, I'm going to pick one because that was a question, but I mean, there's, there's just so many. But I think my favorite memory was in 2011 at the Collegiate Nationals. That was my my freshman year, and I won jump, but I also broke the collegiate record. And it was really special for several reasons. Um, one, just collegiate water skiing is amazing, and being part of that kind of a group atmosphere, which we don't get all the time with, with skiing being an individual sport, was amazing. I was in the last year of the day, you know, my team's all there. Tony was doing a webcast, so it's still on YouTube. I can go back and watch it, which is pretty cool because it was 10 years ago. <sighs> I feel old. Um, but anyway, yeah, it was it was such a cool memory because Roger Scalco was there, our coach, who passed away a few years ago. I'll, I'll never forget that, that, you know, training up to that. We talked about how much I won on the record. He was there for every step of the way. Another, another cool thing is that Zach Warden broke the collegiate record the next day. Scott Greenwood was driving both of us. Alex Laurentano, it was her record. She was there to congratulate me. And I've kind of always looked up to her. There's just so many special things about it. And so I think that was it, the 2011 Nationals, Collegiate Nationals. That is so cool. After all of the memories, I mean, even Masters, it goes back to Collegiate Nationals. And I will tell you, of all of the things I'm right there with you that I've done in the sport of water skiing, Collegiate Nationals is so special. And in fact, that's probably going to be the topic of one of our upcoming podcasts because we are moving into the fall, which means you get water skiing in football in the same season. And I know you're a Buccaneers fan. So um, talk to us a little bit about collegiate water skiing, though, because I think, um, at least for me, it was like it was like what I had been waiting for my entire life after being a junior. It was like, oh, this is it. When I got to collegiate water skiing, and I believe you were at Florida Southern, right? You were at Florida Southern. Tell us just about the experience, uh, because you get, uh, you know, folks like you that are skiing on a professional level on on different weekends and then come back and jumping five foot. And then you've got people who may have seen the table at a college and says, yeah, that looks pretty fun. And they show up and they end up at nationals. So it's a vastly uh, diverse group of, of skiers. And but man, I tell you, one of the most fun, energetic things you can do. Yeah, um, you you said that really well. I think it was such an exciting time for me personally because Girls That Fly was really um, going. We had uh, you know pro events every weekend sprinkled in with collegiate nationals and collegiate tournaments, collegiate regionals. I mean, I was just every weekend there's a tournament. What's nice about water skiing is we're not NCAA, so you can do professional you know, water skiing at the same time. Uh, but yeah, the going back and forth at the rampides and stuff wasn't always the most fun. Going down was easy. Going back to like five and a half, 33 was never uh, fun at the beginning, but you know, you get used to it and it's just, 
I I would do it all over again. It, collegiate water skiing was it, is the most fun thing ever. Um, I think, you know, one so one year we my last year was 26, 2015. Um, and we Florida Southern, we actually, this was the year after Roger had passed, um, Curtis came in and we actually, um, ended up getting second, but we were really in the running, uh, for first that year. And that was just like the coolest thing. I, I mean, we really wanted, wanted the first for Roger, um, cause he would have loved that. But I mean, just, we had such a tight knit group, especially after he passed that, I mean, to, to this day, they're all my family. Now they're all, you know, getting married, having kids and things in them there for all of it i mean it really created a family and um yeah those are some memories i'll never forget awesome awesome it's so much it's so fun for me to do these podcasts because it always circles back to water skiing is an extension of your family and so you know we land there once again well the the um I guess the remainder of the 2022 season is starting to wrap up. Is there anything else on your calendar that you're going to be competing in this year? Yeah. So I leave Thursday for the California Pro-Am. They added jump this year, which is really exciting. Yeah. Um, And then after that, we've got Mastercraft Pro. And then I think there's um, the King of Darkness at the end around Halloween. So there's a couple events and then I want to do some record events and try to get some big jumps. So We'll see that uh, U.S. record is Alex's. It's 188. So that's a huge goal of mine. Um, and so, you know, just trying to give myself opportunities. I don't know. You know, you always think you have a lot of opportunities, but then you're like, okay, maybe not when you're when you're jumping well. You know, so um, it's hard to. I'm, I'm going to do a lot of tournaments this fall and just have fun with it. And yeah, I'm excited. It seems like we have like part two of the season starting. So. Well, we're going to definitely be cheering for you. And I, I'm sure, you know, even the the goals and the expectations that you get to set after the end of this year going into 2023, I mean, sky's the limit. Um, obviously a tremendous season this year. I wanted to give you the opportunity to uh, just give a handoff for people of where they could find you or, you know, social media or what you're doing even outside of water skiing. Yeah. Um, so I'm on Twitter. Um, it's Lauren Morgan Ski. And I'm talk a lot about my academics there um, that I use mostly for that. And then I'm also on Instagram. It's lauren.a.morgan. And I try to keep up with all the tournaments and post about all that. Um, So yeah, follow me. And um, if you have any questions or some coaching or anything, I'm happy to help. So feel free to, to reach out. Well, this has been a tremendous podcast, Lauren. We're going to be cheering for you going into the fall and good luck. And we want to see some big jump. We're right behind you. Thank you, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening and come back and catch future episodes as we chat with water ski legends and current stars from each of the sports disciplines as we celebrate 100 years of water skiing. Thanks again to our sponsor, Visit Central Florida. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'll see you next time.